had to uh, bite the inside of my cheek from crying there. Song goes right along with what we're going to be talking about today. Ezekiel chapter number six. Ezekiel chapter number six. Husbands have a listening problem. And all the women of the church said, Amen. Lene calls me her little space cadet, which means I spend more time in my head than on planet Earth. And so very frequently, Lene says, are you listening to me? Last night, um, I had sat in my office all day, and so I had been very active. I come home to Riley, who was very active at that time, and so I get down on the floor, and I am running all over with him. He's running around me. I'm grabbing him. We're having fun. And Lene sits down and starts telling me about her day in the midst of all this chaos that's happening. And during the middle of that, she's like, Dan, are you listening to me? Yes, I am listening to you. Fully comprehending, maybe not, but I can hear what you are saying. Uh, Friday night, we, uh, we ordered Texas Roadhouse. And uh, so I went out, Lene sent me out to go get it. I picked it up, and I got caught up in a thought that would, was corresponding with my lesson or the sermon this morning. And I'm, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm mulling over this new thought in my mind. And I'm sitting at a stoplight, and I go through the light, and out of the corner of my eye, I realize that was the road I needed to get home. I spend so much time in my head, and then when people are talking to me, I get, you know, I'm not always paying attention to what is going on around me. I'm a little space cadet. How much of this is true in our relationship with the Lord? We get so busy, caught up in the things of life here that we don't hear what the Lord is saying. Let's read Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We'll read through verse 4. And the word of the Lord came unto me. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face towards the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And say, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. And your altars shall be desolate, and your images shall be broken down. And I will cast down your slain men before your idols. The word of the Lord is coming. Ezekiel says, hear the word of the Lord. The title of the message this morning, if you're taking notes, hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who speaks. And you have spoken to many men down through history. You have spoken through your word. You've spoken through the prophets. But chiefly, you have spoken through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, today you, have, you speak through uh, your word and through Christ, and we come to this place expecting to hear from you. Father, I pray that uh, by this message, by the work that you have done in my own heart, that you would move here today and that we would hear your voice. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord is the title. 
We're going to have three points this morning, and it's going to be those words in the reverse order. So point number one, the Lord, the word, here. Now let's start with the first point, the Lord or the Lord God. Through these passages, we find we're going to go through several passages that say this exact same thing. We're going to follow this progression through Ezekiel in the next point. But as you follow these passages, you'll, you'll see the word Lord and God. The Lord is the one who is speaking. You know what makes a difference who the speaker is? There's some people that if they were to get up to speak, I wouldn't roll out of bed in the morning. My mother-in-law just said that this morning. She's like, wow, look at all these people who came out to hear you. Right? If I nudge Lene in the morning, hey, who's, who's the speaker? Daniel, you are. Well, I'm not getting out of bed to hear that guy. Who the speaker is really makes a difference whether you're going to pay attention, whether you're going to hear him or not. Here the speaker is the Lord. If you look through these old words, the words for Lord and God are this. The first one is Adonai, Adonai. This term refers to God as Lord, Master. You could think of this as his position. A person who has a position of weight, a position of authority, that's going to change how you hear. Hear, he is the king of kings, lord of lords, the supreme leader, the God of all. This position of Adonai has immense weight. And if you do not understand his position, then you are going to hear him in a different way than what is appropriate. The second word we're going to see here is Yahweh. This is the I am, the word, the name that God gave to uh, Moses. Who do you say sent me? The I am. Now this talks about character. I believe this is a word that describes what is our God like. He is not, he's got the position of Adonai, Lord, Master, but he's not a taskmaster, a hard, uh, crooked uh, boss. He is Yahweh, the great I am. Now, we could spend a lot of points on explaining what the great I am could refer to, and it has a lot. But we're going to con condense it down into three important points here today. First point, eternality. The I am speaks to God's eternality. He has no beginning. He has no end. If you were to reverse the tape, go all the way back in time, and you could get to a spot where there was no God, then you could stand and say, he will be. You go the other way. When you come to a point where God is not, then you could say, he was. But since he is a God who inhabits eternity past, eternity future, he is the I am. He's not the will be or the was. I am. Now, this is important. Look at the majority of religions around us today. The Pope, the, uh, the prophet, they have a leader. This leader gets old or he gets oust and they get a new guy in. The God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of the church. He does not, uh, he is the eternal one. Nobody's going to replace him. He is the same God. Letter B. Uh, I am means consistency, consistency. He doesn't change. Leaders change their minds. Right? They say something a couple weeks later, ah, I don't know, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Uh, I was talking with uh, Brother Moore while he was here for Second Man Day, 
and we're talking about the, the prophet that the Mormons have. The prophet, I found out that whatever the prophet is of the day, whatever he wants to say can override anything that has been said before him. There is no consistency there. Our God is consistent. He doesn't change from day to day. What the word is that he's spoken remains the same. He doesn't go back on it. Let us see. I am referring to sufficiency. Sufficiency. He is the source. He doesn't need any outside resources to keep him going. He is the source. He is the source for all living things. Anything that we need can be found in him. The I am. The leaders, Pope, the prophet, how many times has a political leader gotten up, spoken and said, I'm going to promise you this, that, and the other thing, and then they couldn't carry it out. The I am who says, I am rest, can give you rest. I am peace, can give you peace. Anything that the human soul needs, it can be found in him. There is no, well, I thought I could do it, but I can't. The I am is sufficient for all human needs. Who the speaker is really makes a difference. Adonai, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the weight of authority that that carries. Yahweh, the one who is the I am, the character of sufficiency, the character of consistency, of eternality. Who is speaking is going to determine how you listen. First point, the Lord, the Lord God. Second point, the word. What the speaker is talking about, what the speaker is saying, is also going to dictate how you listen. All right, what if I sent out an email last night and said, hey everybody, I am so excited uh, for the sermon tomorrow. I am excited to preach to you on the rich history of pulpit design. We're going to follow this progression all the way back from old ancient days. What's the construction, the materials, the design? And we'll work it all the way through to modern times. How many of you would have come this morning? <laughs> what somebody is going to talk about is also going to determine. Now, if I just announced my title here this morning, you showed up and say, okay, with the rich history of pulpit design. Either you're going to walk out, just be that blatant about it, or you're going to try to be nice about it and just check out and just, well, let me get out my phone and look at something I'm more interested in. What we talk about, what the speaker is saying, is going to determine how you listen. So for this point, let me explain how we are going to approach this. Uh, like I said, hear the word of the Lord. We're going to see multiple times throughout the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to go chronologically through the book of Ezekiel and follow what is the Lord saying. Now, there are quite a few of them, and we're not going to uh, discuss all of them, but that is what the progression is. And I am not about to expound to you what the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, is talking about. It's full of prophecy. It's full of things that have already been taking place. It's talking about things that are still coming in the future. I am not a, an expert on uh, Old Testament prophecy in the sense. But in this, we can see who is God. He is the Yahweh, the one who doesn't change. And the God who spoke to Israel in Ezekiel's day is the same God who speaks today. And the things that he has spoken for and against are the same things that he is speaking for and against today. And so 
when we bring it into today, I am not saying, here's the explanation of Ezekiel. I'm going to give you a little bit of what is happening there. But we are looking for a pattern, and here's who our God is. He's the God who spoke in Ezekiel's day, and he's the same God who speaks on the same things today. All right, so point number two is the word. The word. Um, we're going to see three categories of what God talks about. Number one, God speaks of sin. Category number one, God speaks of sin. Letter A, we're going to see the first principle of God. God hates idolatry, the sin of idolatry. We've already read the passage. It says he's coming against the mountains and the streams. The mountains and the high places were rampant with idolatry. This is where all of that is taking place. And God has already told his people in Leviticus 26.1, Ye shall make no idols nor graven images, neither rear you up standing any standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it. For I am the Lord your God. The common definition that we often use is anything that takes the rightful place of God. It is, and it is a very helpful definition. But let me maybe add another one that gives you another light to it. An idol is anything that is a deviation from the one true living God. What if I came home this afternoon um, and I find there's somebody else in my apartment and he's wearing my clothes, he's sitting in my half of the couch, he is drinking from my coffee mug, and I turn to my wife and say, who's this guy? And he, the guy looks at me and there's a lot of similarities to this guy and me. Is it actually me? No, it's not me. I ask, why are you bringing this? Well, we like this guy a little better. He looks like you. He talks like you. He has the same mannerisms. But there's some things that we just don't like about you that we're just going to, we wanted something a little bit different. How much do we do that with God? All right, we have, we claim the God of the Bible. How much time do we spend reading through, ah, God, you're a little harsh when you speak that. Oh, you say about this sin, but you know what? I don't quite like that. Small deviations. When you do that to God, you have just created an idol. This is not the one true living God. God tells Ezekiel, prophesy that the Lord is coming and will destroy not only the idols, but those who are worshiping the idols. We see here God hates idolatry. Now today, right, there's Ezekiel's day. Today, Luke 4, 8, Jesus answered and said unto them, Him, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. 1 John 5.21 Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The sin of idolatry is just as heinous to God today as it was in Ezekiel's day. Yahweh is the same. I believe idolatry actually goes against, directly against God's name, Adonai. He alone is the ruler when we gave up our devotions to binge-watch our TV show, we let TV be our master. When we ate seven pieces of pie in one sitting, we let our stomachs be the Lord. When we blew our top, we let our emotions be the master. We could go on. We are in some fashion all guilty of ousting the Lord and putting another God in his place. We are guilty of letting someone or something other than God rule our lives. And that thing has become an idol. God still hates idolatry. 
Principle number one, God hates idolatry. Principle number two, God hates spiritual adultery. God hates spiritual adultery. Turn to chapter 16. It'll be our next, uh, our next passage here. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 35. Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because thy filthiness was poured out and thy nakedness discovered through thy whoredoms with thy lovers and with all the idols of thy abominations and with the blood of the children which thou didst give unto them, behold, therefore, I will gather all thy lovers with whom thou hast taken pleasure and all them that hast loved. Uh, and with them all that thou hast hated, and I will even gather them around against thee, and will discover thy nakedness unto them, that they may see all thy nakedness, and I will judge thee as a woman that breaks wedlock and shed blood are, ju are judged, and I will give thee blood and fury and jealousy. Ezekiel, Israel, Israel and the Lord had entered into a loving covenant relationship. Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is, the, is mine. If Israel would serve the Lord, regard him as the king, put him first, obey his laws, they would be a blessed people. However, at this time, uh, Israel has neglected the covenant and has not been living in that wonderful promise the Lord made. And the Lord describes Israel here as a, a woman who is running around giving herself to all sorts of other lovers. Here we see God hates spiritual adultery. He is a jealous God. Israel, his chosen people, Israel are his chosen people, and he hates it when they are running around with other lovers. The Lord declares judgment is coming. He hates spiritual adultery. Not today. God is still a jealous God. Mark 12.30 And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. When we give our supreme love to anyone or anything, we are committing a spirit, spiritual adultery. God is to be our one and only supreme lover. He does not accept us to have other lovers hanging around. Now, I do believe this spiritual adultery goes against the name uh, Yahweh. He is the source of all. There is no need to try to find satisfaction in anything, anyone outside of God. When we turn to that bowl of ice cream, when we need comfort, when we gossip to our friends, when we need a listening ear, when we listen to music in order to drown out our sorrow, anytime we look for a satisfaction in something created, something that is not God, we commit spiritual adultery. God hates spiritual adultery. Category number one, God speaks of sin, sin of idolatry, sin of spiritual adultery. Category number two, we'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 20, a few pages over. Ezekiel chapter 20. We see here, God speaks of judgment. God speaks of judgment. Principle letter A, God judges sin. God judges sin. Ezekiel 20, we'll start in verse 43. 
and there shall ye remember your ways and all your doings, wherein ye have been defiled. And ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that ye have committed. Jump to verse 47. And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in thee, and it shall devour every green tree in thee and every dry tree. The flaming flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south and of the, to the north shall be burned therein, and all flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. The Lord gives a vision to Ezekiel that God's judgment will be like a wildfire that comes and destroys. The general reason given for this judgment is found in verse 43, their defilement, their sin. Leviticus 19.2, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God is holy, meaning he is totally separate from sin. The law he gives is holy. 1 John 3.4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. Sin is the transgression of of the law. When you sin, you step over God's holy law, you break his commandment, you violate who he is. Every law that is broken deserves a punishment. You go 35, you go 85 miles an hour in a 35 zone, you're going to get pulled over, get a, get a punishment. You go, you break God's law in spiritual adul adultery or idolatry, there is a broken law, and judgment must be served. Today, God is still the same holy God. Sin is still sin. His law is holy. When we cross the line of God's holy law, that sin demands judgment. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By this verse, those who have committed idolatry and spiritual adultery uh, are under God's law. God's law has us by the throat. We can't, God cannot ignore the law, or else he would not be a just God. Romans 6.23, For the wages, the penalty of sin is death. Everyone is a sinner, and therefore they must pay for their sins with this eternal death. Revelation 20.13-15 tells us what that death is. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever is not written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. The penalty for sin is the lake of fire. What type of people do you think are going to be populating hell and the lake of fire? Our go-to answer is all the bad people, the scums of the earth, the dirty, the low downs. Did you catch what types of trees would be consumed in this fire? There are a lot of good people in this world. People who smile at you, 
They go the extra mile. They go above and beyond. They help you. They give to charities. They choose a job where they are helping people. They love their families. They are the green trees of society. They're nice people. This fire did not care if the tree was green or not. The law does not care if you're a good person. It grabs you by the throat the moment you step across the line. You sin once, you're done for. Good is not good enough. Adonai, Adonai's law demands perfection. Now right now you might deny the reality of your sin, thinking you haven't done anything wrong or at least nothing that would deserve an eternal judgment. But Ezekiel 20, 43 says, And there shall you remember your ways and all your doings, wherein ye have been defiled. And ye shall loathe yourself in your sight for all the evils which you have committed. Do you know what this verse is talking about? Ryan, can you mute my mic for a second? I don't want to blow everybody's ears away. Do you know what this verse is talking about? Israel will agree with God that their ways were wicked. Have you come to this same conclusion yet? Have you sided with God against yourself? Have you looked at God's law and agreed that you have broken it? Every saved individual in this room has already come to this conclusion. The first point we share about the gospel, all have sinned, and you have agreed with that. Now, if you do not come to this conclusion in this life, you will come to this conclusion in the next. Philippians 2, 11, 10, Philippians 2, 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord, the Greek word for master, to the glory of God the Father. On judgment day, with your own mouth, you will side with God against yourself. The law book will be opened. And the Lord will bring up accusations of how you broke his law. And you will raise your hand and say, guilty as charged. You will side with God. You will defend him. You will be condemned. God judges sin. Principle number two for this category. God judges the enemy. Chapter 25. God judges the enemy. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them and say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast said, Aha! against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. Behold, therefore, I will deliver thee to the, the men of the east for a possession, and they shall set their places in thee, and shall make uh, their dwellings in thee, and they uh, shall eat thy fruit, and shall drink thy milk, and I will make uh, Rabbah a, a stable for camels, and the Ammonites a, a couching place for flocks, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. In chapters 25 through 33, the Lord now points his finger at the enemy. 
and he pronounces judgment on them. Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, Tyre, Zidon, and Egypt. Each of these nations have a long history of conflict with Israel. Slavery, oppression, raids, destruction, and mockery are on the long list of accusations against them. We could also mention here that the idols that Israel was worshiping came uh, from these enemies. The Lord does not leave these enemies unpunished. The Lord has Ezekiel prophesy against the enemy that their downfall, destruction, or ruin would be imminent. The ones who had long oppressed Israel would be crushed. God judges the enemies. Now today, we have an enemy. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the first being, the first being to ever sin. He is the founding father of lies. By his deception, humanity's first parents fell into sin. By that act, he gained control of the world and was given the titles, the God of this world and the prince and the power of the air. His main methods of attack are deception and division. He disguises himself as an angel of light, but his work is always to this end, to steal, kill, and destroy. He is an oppressive taskmaster. taskmaster. He is ruthless, waiting for any unsuspecting prey he can devour. We call him Lucifer, Satan, and the devil. But do not be troubled. God has already turned his finger against the devil and pronounced judgment on him in the garden. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Right after Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the Lord points his finger at the devil and says, Your head is going to be crushed by a future descendant of Eve. The Lord Jesus Christ will deliver that death blow to the devil. There are many aspects to the cross, and this is one of them. The cross is where the devil received that death blow. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over, over them in it. Through the cross, the devil has been stripped of all authority. He has been dethroned. He is a defeated foe. But he is still allowed to roam. And we see that he is still a deadly enemy. He is allowed to roam this earth for now, but there is coming a day when the devil will be judged and cast into the lake of fire, and he will be condemned forever in torment. God's enemy will be defeated. God will judge the enemy. But he will not be, the devil will not be alone. Anyone who is in league with him 
will be judged also. If you are not with God through Christ, then you are, by default, in alliance with the devil, and you will be sent to everlasting destruction. God judges the enemy. God speaks of sin. God speaks of judgment. Number three, God speaks of righteousness. Chapter 34. Start in verse 7, actually. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. I live, saith the Lord God. Surely, because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, uh, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, uh, and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from the feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more. I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep. I will deliver them out of all places uh, where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. I will bring them out for, from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon high mountains of Israel shall their fold be uh, there and their Mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold and fat pasture. Shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel? I will feed my flock. I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost. I will bring again that which was driven away. I will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and will feed them with judgment. Drop to verse 22. <clears throat> Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey, and I will judge between cattle and cattle, and I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David, or rather the son of David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. God speaks of righteousness. Principle number one. God gives abundant mercy. God gives abundant mercy. It is at this point that God has accused Israel of all their sin and warned them, judgment is coming. The next picture you would expect to see is for God to grab his sword and come down and wipe them out. But instead of a sword, he picks up a shepherd's staff. Instead of a bow, a bandage. Instead of a knife, food. Instead of shackles, bedding. The Lord does not come with war. He comes with mercy. Israel is weary, broken, scattered, oppressed, and starving. And the Lord looks upon them 
with the most generous compassion. He comes like a good shepherd to his flock that has just been ravished by wolves. He gathers them together. He feeds them. He waters them. He binds up their wounds. And he goes beyond that. He leaves them with a promise. I will set up one shepherd over them. Jesus Christ, the son of David. God gives abundant mercy for today, for us. Today, you who are under the accusation of sin and who fears the judgment, there is abundant mercy for you as well. Yes, sin like a wolf has come and ransacked you. Spiritually, you are scattered, sick, hungry, devastated, broken. You have possibly been led astray by false shepherds, but there is mercy with the Lord. And this mercy is offered to every person through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David. The way this mercy is extended is through this. Christ died for us. John 10, 11. Here's what Christ says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. See, this is another aspect of the cross. Not only did the cross defeat the devil, but it provides us with righteousness. At the cross, God put the sin debt of the entire world on Christ. Your sin and mine were placed on him. And there, God poured out the judgment wrath from our sin on Christ. What this means, the judgment was paid in full by a substitute. Christ died in our place. Christ died for us. Therefore, justice is satisfied. The law can be uh, satisfied. The good shepherd laid down his life in our place. This is how you receive abundant mercy through Jesus Christ. Our next principle. God gives abundant gifts. God gives abundant gifts. Uh, chapter 36. Chapter 36. Also, thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel, and say, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Drop down to verse 33. Thus saith the Lord God, in thee, uh, in thee the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of of all that pass by, and they shall say, This land was desolate, is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities that become fenced are inhabited. <clears throat> Here we see this chapter begins God's promise to restore Israel, and he restores them better than they were before. There are lots of promises given to Israel about their restoration. Their population will boom. Their infrastructure will be built up. The land will produce fruit like never before. The economy will take off. But most importantly, we're going to see, there is a magnificent spiritual awakening. God will restore Israel better, to than, better than they were before through his abundant gifts. 
today. Are we better off as saved individuals than Adam was in the garden before the fall? Who has it better? People of the new covenant, us, or Adam pre-fall in the garden? Does God restore us better than the fall? Kind of get your, your mind to think, what's better, today or perfect garden? I believe salvation in Jesus Christ is better than Adam had it in the garden. In the garden, Adam could not say Christ is in him. In the garden, Adam could not say that he is in Christ. He could not claim to be joint heirs with Christ. He could not say he is seated in heavenly places with Christ. Yes, Adam had a good life. The garden was perfect. Sin was destructive. It broke us to smithereens. But God gives abundant gifts. All the privileges of the new covenant reflect that. Maybe an illustration to help. Think of a, a guy, maybe his whole life, he's a thief, a pickpocket. And that has been his entire existence. He can't get away from it, he can't break it. Finally, the law grabs him by the throat and puts him in prison. Right? He's there for years and years and years upon end. All the family, all the resources, everything that he had before that is now gone after this length of time in prison. Then some rich, generous man comes by, pays whatever he owes, gets him out of prison. Then what does the prison do? Kicks him out in the curb, and the generous guy decides to walk away. What does he have? He's got nothing. No friends, no family, no resources. He is completely desolate on his own. Well, find your way in the world. Just try to do your best. Is that what Jesus Christ does? Our sin has thrown us into prison. He frees us by the death of the cross. And then he says, okay, you're on your own. Good luck. All right, I've, I've provided you with freedom. Try to find your own way in the world. Christ's abundant gifts are seen in verse 25. Go back to verse 25. We're going to see a new conscience. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Hebrews carries this, uh, the book of Hebrews carries this idea out, that the sprinkling here is cleansing your conscience. In the Old Covenant, there is a remembrance of sin year after year. You are reminded daily your sin. In the New, all the sins of your past will be cleansed. All the things that you've done in your life that haunt you won't haunt you anymore. When a person accepts Christ, their past is permanently dealt with. Your mind can have freedom. What a glorious, glorious truth. Verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. A new disposition. A new disposition. The old stony heart of the old covenant was anti-God. It was cold towards his ways. It didn't want to follow him. In the new covenant, you are given a new heart that loves God, that desires God. It irks you when you do wrong against him. You are given the desires to do what is right. Verse 27, 
And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. And a, and a, verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, uh, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Read the wrong verse. Here we see a new power in the old covenant. The law did not enable you to keep it. You had desires that didn't want to go with God. You didn't have the willpower to do it. In the new covenant, you will not only have new desires that wants to keep the law, but you will now have the Spirit of God within you, giving you the ability to do it. Verse 28. A new relationship. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave unto your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. In the Old Testament, God reveals his names primarily as Adonai and Yahweh. What does he reveal himself in the New, primarily? Father, our Father. The Lord adopts you into his family. You become a child of God. He becomes your Father. You are his. He is yours. God gives abundant mercy. Next principle, God gives abundant life. God gives abundant life. Chapter 37. Very familiar passage, probably. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord uh, and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. It caused me to pass by them, round about them. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, Prophesy to the wind, uh, prophesy, son of man, saying to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four, uh, four winds, O breath. And breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came unto them. And they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you to the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. I shall place you in your own land, and then uh, ye, and shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord." Ezekiel has a vision of a valley. It is scattered with these dry bones. And the question is posed, can these bones live? At the command of the Lord, Ezekiel prophesied to the scattered bones, and they began to reconnect and followed the muscles and the tendons, uh, and skin covered them. Now these are reconstructed beings, but there was a problem. There was no life in them. Ezekiel was told to prophesy again that the wind would come, 
The wind came, and they were infused with life. This vision speaks of Israel's spiritual renewal. Israel was spiritually, Israel is bone dry. They had no hopes of renewal, no hopes of return. But the breath comes, the Holy Spirit. And when the breath of God comes, there is life, and life more abundantly. Today, we are often content to settle with a meager Christianity. We beat our heads against the wall trying to figure out why is there no victory? Why, uh, we, we say, we, talk, we lose hope. Is it even possible to have this fullness of life that Christ talks about in the New Testament? Where is it? Promise after promise, what a life should look like. We look at our lives and say, I am spiritually bone dry. The one, one unsaved individual describes Christianity like a man carrying a headache. Everywhere he goes, he's miserable, but he bears with it because he doesn't want to lose his head. Is this how you carry your Christianity? Life is miserable, but I want to keep my Christianity because I want to go to heaven. Right? It's worth it to keep this headache until the end. Is there more? Is this the life that Christ has called us to? Is it supposed to be miserable right now, but you know, worth it in the end for salvation? When those bones received the Spirit, they had life. The disciples were told to wait in the upper room until they received power. The Holy Spirit was coming. It is the Holy Spirit within who enables and empowers to live Christ's life. To live in the, the life in the Spirit is what we could call really living. Life in the Spirit is what we could call really living. A life dominated by sin, that's a meager existence. But life in the Spirit is free from the law of sin and death. A life in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, is an abundant life. The Spirit life overflows with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. John 7, 38-39. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture that saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, uh, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they uh, that believe on him should receive. When the Spirit of God comes and you rely on him, you submit your entirety of a life to him, you should see rivers of living water. God gives abundant life now. We've talked about who's speaking. We have just finished up. What has he said? He's talked about sin, of judgment, and righteousness. Third point. This will go quickly. Hear. Hear. Who the speaker is and what he is talking about determines how you are going to listen to him. The word hear, we can understand it in three main perspectives. Give attention to, understand, listen and obey. Give attention to, understand, listen and obey. And if I were to say, hear me out, what I'm asking you to do is, hey, I'm speaking here, pay attention to what I'm saying. As master, Adonai, Adonai demands attention. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords. 
the weight of the position of Adonai makes it unacceptable to ignore him. But as I am, Yahweh woos your attention. Why wouldn't you listen to him? All the depths of humanity, the needs of humanity, are found in him. Why wouldn't you listen? Why will you plug your ears to the one who is the answer to all of our problems? The delight of Yahweh makes it stupid to ignore him. Number two is understand. I could say, did you hear me right? If, I, if somebody gives me instructions and I'm fiddling with the thing and I'm not doing it how they told me to do it, I can say, are you, are you, uh, did you hear me right? Did you hear me right? I'm speaking. I need you to understand what I'm saying correctly. As master, Adonai does not allow for personal reinterpretation of his word. To take Adonai's word and fashion it to your own understanding is completely and utterly unacceptable. Thus saith the Lord. As the I am, why would you want to mess with Yahweh's word? His words speak the truth of sin, of judgment and righteousness. Yahweh is the answer to sin, judgment, and righteousness. To twist his words is complete stupidity. Number three, listen to obey. You just say, did you hear what I said? Hey, say that to your kids. Did you hear what I said? Right? I'm speaking, and I need you to obey the words that I, I speak. As master, Adonai's words are not optional. His words come with authoritative command. You do not get to determine which parts to obey and which to ignore. It is completely and utterly unacceptable to disregard him. As the I am, why would you not want to obey him? Why will you remain in your wallowing state? Why will you remain under the tyranny of the evil one? Why would you, why would you ignore his offer of mercy? It is complete and utter stupidity to ignore and disobey what he has said. For those here who have not accepted Christ's gift of salvation, he has everything necessary to bind up all spiritual wounds. If you reject salvation, you are still in your sins and will face judgment day in your own goodness that is not good enough. You need the righteousness of the sinless Christ applied to your account. Oh, sinner! Why will you not come to Yahweh? Why will you not take his spiritual healing? Why will you not flee the wrath to come? Come to Yahweh and find him to be all that you need and more. Come and be healed. Come and find rest. Come and be fed. Come and find safety. Come. Yahweh is sufficient for you. Oh, believer, is Christ only good enough to you for heaven. Have you neglected the abundant gifts of the new covenant? Have you wandered from your good shepherd? Do you have a wound that needs mended? Are you neglecting the abundant life in the spirit? Are you letting the devil plague you with sins that have already been dealt with? 
Are you weary and need rest? Are you hungry and need fed? Come again to Yahweh and find him to be all that you need and more. Come be healed. Come find rest. Come be fed. Come and find safety. Come. Yahweh is still sufficient for you. Hear the word of the Lord. If you'll grab a hymnal and stand, uh, join me standing. We're going to sing hymn 301. 301 in your hymnal. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you today. As I look at this passage and what we have discussed, there has been a smorgasbord of so much to grab. And I trust that the Spirit has not overwhelmed you with the amount of material. But the Holy Spirit said, or the Christ said, that he would send the Spirit. The Spirit would convict of what? Sin of righteousness and judgment. The three categories we look at today. So if the Spirit has moved and convict you, I'm going to ask you to hear the words of Adonai. He is your master. But Yahweh is pleading with you, come to him. Grab your hymnal and sing 301. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the just a moment if you'll bow your heads if there's anybody here this morning who has not accepted Christ and you have become aware that you are under the sin and you will be judged under your sin and you'll be judged and you want to know how you can know more about Christ and be saved from the wrath to come would you lift your hand and let me know so I can talk to you Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray um, that the Spirit uses the word of sin, of righteousness, and judgment this morning to move us to where we need to be. We trust you, uh, that you have done the work necessary, that you were necessary for this morning. We thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.